everybody. Tim Stafford, Michael Erie, coming at you in the Voxology podcast. Welcome to this episode. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a small part of your life. Timothy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. What? <laughs> that that answer alone should should clue us in that something is off um, already. That's a that's a scary thing. What time did you get up to work out today? Four forty five. Four forty five, ladies and gentlemen. Dark and early, as they say. Yes, and it was cold. It's today. cold. It was like thirty seven degrees, I think, when we got up. Yeah, yeah. So so Timothy. Timothy's had a day. Yeah, you, you've done more today than I will do all day. <laughs> today. <laughs> um, anyway, welcome to uh, Voxology Podcast. We, uh, we have so much material to get through today. We're just going to jump right into it. No chit-chat. No chit-chat. Uh, no chit-chat. I want to first thank Kate, uh, Caitlin and Kathy and Samuel and Rachel for their support through Patreon. We have... Um, man, we have an amazing community of people. This is a non-profit crowdfunded endeavor. And so we're really grateful that people see value in it. And so we wanted to thank you guys. Um, you can find out more about us and more about Patreon by going to voxologypodcast.com. There you can sign up for an email um, or a newsletter. Give us your email set up for a newsletter. There's a survey there that has been super helpful. Hundreds of you have taken that so far and we're very grateful. And there have been some really cool confirming and surprising things that we've been hearing from you. And uh, anyway, this is, and all of this is um, an endeavor to build a home for people who feel spiritually homeless. And so we want to grow beyond just a podcast conversation um, and um, and grow into what it you know how it is that we can connect with each other in the midst of this journey. Um, we got ideas. We got ideas. We got loads of ideas. And because of your kind um, support, we can put flesh and blood on some of these ideas. And so anyway, super grateful for that. I have Timothy uh, a number of emails to read from different categories. This one. This gentleman said, use my real name. Oh, I like it. All right, Nick. So here we go. Here we go. Just wanted to weigh in on the conversation today concerning a Christian view on the death penalty. Mm. I found the entire conversation to be compelling and very challenging. Me too. I have been growing increasingly ambivalent concerning my views on the death penalty, but part of Part of the deconstruction sanctification journey, it appears that we're all on these days. Yeah. One thing I found helpful in my own thinking is redefining in my mind the word justice to what I feel is a more biblical view. Traditionally, most systems of justice have centered around ancient Roman practices where the entire system was designed to exact confessions of guilt from the accused and then punish accordingly. I was very surprised a few years ago to find out that is, is not what Jewish biblical writers had in mind when using the word retranslate justice, and that is true. It was pointed out to me by some Messianic Jewish scholars that the etymology, like the big words, Tim, <laughs> behind the Hebrew word we translate as justice is not punishment, but healing or righteousness. Mm. 
Uh, God's justice in the original writer's thinking was all about taking the broken world and fixing what was wrong, making it whole, bringing shalom to the entire human race. He's absolutely right on all of this. Well done, Nick. This is why it is, it is just to show mercy and not a violation of God's law in any way to forgive and restore both the broken and those who do the breaking. Wow. That helped me see much more easily how God can be a God of love and justice. His justice, the way he practices it anyway, is an expression of his perfect healing love. It has nothing to do with punishing wrong. It has everything to do with restoring um, back to what is right. Boom. There's the gospel. Boom. So well done, Nick. I definitely wanted to read that one. I thought that was That a actually great... sounds like good news. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and he certainly, and, I, and we've talked about this on the podcast, that really redefines what we mean by social justice. Yes. Um, the Bible is a book of social justice. Um, yeah. All the instructions to the church are social justice instructions. The yeah. church is God's social justice on earth. I mean, this is not something that is awoke, um, you know, and recently appearing concern of Christians. This is... You, I mean, you go back to the years of Jubilee and how you were to, to treat right. uh, and restore property. And I mean, it, it, amazing, amazing stuff. So I wanted to, to read that. I have a couple of deconstruction stories. Thanks, Nick. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Nick, love it. No Saint more Nick, Jeremy. St. Nick, we'll call him. So here's another one. This is about the new series that we're doing. And... Um, this is somebody who writes, I'm very intrigued by the new series, and I wanted to share one of my earliest line-drawing experiences in childhood that has impacted my faith expression as an adult. I grew up learning classical violin, which is awesome. My family was conservative and Baptist. My violin teacher was liberal and Jewish. From mm -hmm. age 9 to 17, I stood side by side with a woman who, confusingly, seemed to embody Jesus's love better than I did. She was extremely non-judgmental. She prioritized caring for the earth with gentleness. She held our music recitals in a local retirement home so the residents could hear the music and see the kids. From nine to 17, I, I weekly stood side by side with a woman who confusingly seemed to embody Jesus's love better than I did. She was extremely non-judgmental. She prioritized caring for the earth with gentleness. She held our music recitals in a local retirement home so the residents could hear the music and see the kids. She would talk to as many residents as she could and it exuded care and compassion. She also used words like karma, which any good Baptist child knew you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Right. <laughs> and in line with my Baptist training, I knew that since she didn't accept Jesus, I was supposed to believe she was going to hell. And that the, quote, love she showed wasn't real love because it didn't come from a heart transformed by Christ. But this explanation struck a chord of dissonance that never went away. How could her love not be real? How could she, without Jesus, be less judgmental than me and my community? Today, as an adult, I have found straight up wonder, all caps, in the creative ways God has revealed outside the lines I used to draw. Yeah. Boom. I found stories of redemption written into fiction from authors that don't follow Jesus. What? I've sensed <laughs> themes of God's beautiful justice in Disney songs. Amen. Uh, the, now like that one yesterday in class. That one, yeah, that one's a stretch for me. Oh well, no, I'm kidding. I don't really. That's know a, much Disney There's songs. a current conversation going on in our um, community Facebook community group about 
the last Disney Encanto yeah? movie and about the songs. And um, somebody made an observation about the character there as somebody that would be a great asset to a church, to any church body. Because oh. how she is kind of questioning the structures of the institution and kind of abuse things, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Way to go, Disney. Yeah. I've learned from the world, quote unquote, to respond to COVID and racism in a way that placed other interests before my own. Um, <coughs> excuse me. That's so true. What a hard, <laughs> terrible, just that. The, yes. Sorry. Go on. I agree. Amen. I still believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and life, but I no longer discount the loving examples of those outside my faith tradition. Instead, I uphold them, and God has often gotten my attention through them. Love it. That's a really what articulate a, It's such email. an interesting conversation, because that, I mean, I, that's largely what I remember, you know, it's like you, all, people can't be good uh, if, they're, if, they have, if they don't have Jesus in their heart. Right. And I remember always just being like, oh, okay. <laughs> How are the, like, you know, I'm seeing examples of this everywhere, but there must, maybe they could be doing a better job if they had <laughs> Jesus in their heart. Yeah. And then you really look at the trouble that the church gets into these days, and it seems to be probably because we won't listen to people outside of that. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you just mm-hmm. have flawed people making the decisions for things. I remember having a conversation in the early 2000s about George Bush and just kind of an argument about policies. And the person I was talking to was like, well, at least he's a Christian. Like, wouldn't you rather have a God-fearing man in the office? And I'm like, not if he's making these decisions. Like, (laughs) Mm. I would rather have somebody who is making better decisions for people who doesn't claim Jesus than somebody who claims Jesus and is doing a, is, you know, making a bad name for Jesus with the decisions. Right. So it's interesting. It's such a weird conundrum that we've kind of a corner we painted ourselves into of like you have you can only trust somebody that claims this name. Oh no! And the justice thing obviously plays into that too. Absolutely. Yeah, and and what's confusing is the Bible is so nuanced on the idea of the world. Um, It uses that word, and we talked about this right in three different ways. One way just means the created earth. Um, another way it means the population of humans. And then another way it means the system of organized resistance to the purposes of God. And so you'll have God loving the world, um, uh, which is the population of humans in view there. And then you'll have James saying, you know, do not love the world or anything in it. And, and, and so there's this, um, complexity that's not recognized in our theology it's just easier to slap a label on something and not have to think about it anymore yeah so limiting it's so so limiting and then then you have the example of paul who pulls from non-christian art and poetry right you know to to and so you just recognize yeah part of the maturity part of ceasing of line drawing which isn't just a fuzziness because it can turn into that. But the ceasing of line drawing is the recognition that that um, that Jesus is found all over the place, not just in explicitly Christian things. Yeah, and that sometimes explicitly Christian things are anti-Jesus far more than things that aren't. <laughs> and so, dun dun dun, dun, dun. Dateline NBC. Yes, 
So speaking of line drawing, Tim. Yeah. All right, let's push forward. Okay. So last episode, we introduced the idea of bounded sets, fuzzy sets, and centered sets. Now yes. we want to start applying those categories to bounded churches, fuzzy churches, and centered churches. And we want to do a lot of comparison and contrasting today. Now, um, again, a couple of disclaimers. First of all, this is the work of Mark Baker. Um, uh, he wrote a book called Centered Set Church that I don't think is out yet. I got an advanced copy. But I'd read an article by him years and years and years ago channeling a guy by the name of Paul Hybert. And um, so this is their work filtered through us. Secondly, um, there'll be some repetition because these are mindsets. Um, and it's so easy to turn, uh, for those of us raised in Boundaryville, it is so easy for us to turn centered thinking into more boundary thinking. Yeah. And so we just have to keep holding this in view. Um, and if you've not listened to the previous episode, you may want to do that before you continue on with this one. So let's talk about what a bounded church is, all right? Um, uh, bounded sets have a list of essential characteristics that someone must hold to be a part of the group, right? So not shockingly, bounded churches have uh, an essential set of correct beliefs and practices that you must hold to be a Christian, and, and and the lines can be distinguishing between Christians and non-Christians, true Christians for mediocre or backslidden Christians, um, <laughs> liberals versus um, uh, conservative Christians. I mean, the lines can be applied all over the place. It's not just one line between Christian and non-Christian, right? You've got, you know, we had all sorts of ways of talking about this when I was young. You know, if you were on fire or if you were radical or right. whatever. Totally. Yes. Um, and then ways of talking about being lukewarm and mediocre and, you know, falling away. So, so bounded churches focus, have stated or unstated boundary lines that represent beliefs and behaviors. Um, and insiders, and this is, this is the really important point. Costco has a difference between insiders and outsiders, but there's no moral superiority attached to it. Well, it's with some people there is, but... Really? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, I don't, don't have a Costco membership. <laughs> yeah, I don't go around thinking Costco members are better than non-Costco members. But in the church, there's this supercharged sort of self-righteous bit um, that plays into a sense of superiority and increased status in the group. The more that you uphold the line, uh, uphold the line, and sort of exclude others on the basis of it. Right, these bounded churches will foment judgmentalism um, and sort of conditional acceptance. Right? Yeah. Um, and and these boundaries, no, not boundaries. Boundaries are good things. Um, the difference between a good boundary and the way a bounded church uses a boundary is that the bounded church uses a boundary to exclude and to judge and to feel superior and secure. Right. Um, whereas boundaries are just ways of distinguishing things in morally neutral fashion. So in bounded churches, the lines, you are measured in relationship to the boundary line, 
right? Right. So whatever that line is, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized the right way? Have you spoken in tongues? Have you? Do you have a certain view of the Bible? And we're seeing this, man. If if we've had Beth Allison Barr on the program, and there is a guy named Denny Burke who is not, I'm not a fan of. I'm sure he is a fine person, but he is the head of the Center of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and is just going after that whole crew. Yeah. On the it's issue ins- of inerrancy, it, it absolutely is. And the way he treats her, I think, is remarkably bad. Yeah, he's just running around bullying everybody. Yeah, but he's using inerrancy and, and right. a specific understanding of it as the line. And this is a perfect example of bounded church behavior. Yeah, um, you get a you get a sense of his superiority. You get a sense of his desire to shame. You get a sense of um, the line is what's important. Nothing else other than the line. And um, the line and how I define the line. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, the lines are always self-serving, always. Yeah. Uh, but in bounded churches, one's status as measured against the line can be communicated in a lot of different ways. It doesn't always have to be explicit. Right. Like in the case of Denny Burke, it can be very implicit. Like you're just never welcomed into the inner you know, group yes, of the totally. church. Yeah. Or you hear people talking about other people who do the things that you do and they're they're judged. You know, right. I mean it could be it could be in a really aggressive line or it could be a really passive line that's just sort of like it's passively aggressive towards the totally. people who don't meet the boundary. Um, another problem in bounded churches is that line drawing can happen in so many different ways, right? And this is where I'm guilty. I I draw lines against people who draw lines. Right. Which, you know, I mean, and we've talked about that a ton, right? We you it, when you judge the judges, you become one of them. Now there is there is a way to get out of that. Um, and Jesus and Paul both discuss the fact that there is a way to discern and walk away from the the boundary folks without just repeating new boundaries. And one of the things we often talk about with our, our Voxology crew internally is when we're talking about reconstruction, are we just inventing new dogmas and lines yes. that will have to be deconstructed down the road also? Yeah. And that's why for us, this centered conversation is so important because if we're just totally. drawing new lines, then this will, you know, this needs to fall as well. And yep. maybe parts of it will, no matter what. Um, and so... The lines. That's such, a, that's such a big key thing that for everybody, I think, especially with this deconstruction conversation being so prevalent. Yeah. Right now is not is so much of this is not about building a new version or building new lines in that way. Yep. But trying to just figure out how should we have been doing this in the first place. Right. And and I see that among some of my more progressive friends, it's like, I just see this all over Twitter sometimes. Hey, if your pastor isn't preaching right. on this event, cultural event that happened yesterday, then you need a new church. I know we referenced this last episode, but there's this, it's just a new line, right? Yeah. You're not woke enough, you're not progressive enough, you're not into social justice stuff, whatever. And and obviously there are parts of, of that whole project I super resonate with and agree that are coming straight from the heart of God. Right. But it's the judgment, the the judgment and exclusion of line drawing that I think is so opposite the teaching of Jesus. And often, if you're center focused, I would imagine if you were part of a body that was following that model, 
most of those things that the quote unquote woke culture uh, rallies about, your church would already be working on those topics, I would imagine, or would already be aware of and perhaps like, because a lot of it will be about marginalized people or sure some whatever. And so, if, but if your church is already focused on what Jesus was trying to do, likely, you know. Yeah, this doesn't feel like some new thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what's troubling is that the lines, that, that churches disagree over how many boundaries there are and what they consist of, right? <laughs> For some, it's attendance. Um, for some, it's certain rituals like baptism or communion. For others, it's spiritual experiences. For others, it's political commitments. I mean, that's a huge one these days. Yeah. There's a new line introduced, and, and maybe it's always been there and we just haven't acknowledged it, and or it's now just super intense. Yeah. But your political commitments have religious line significance. Um, even your views on vaccine and masks, yeah. um, um, activism, you know, I, I, do you believe in inerrancy? I mean, lines can be drawn in so many different places. And so this, again, isn't to critique good boundaries. Every group has to have a definition to be defined by something, or it's yeah. not a group. It's not a community. And so we're not arguing against the fact that there are ways to distinguish people who are part of the group from people who are not part of the group. But it's the way in which the lines are used by in the bounded church that's so un-Jesus-like and so damaging. Now, the, the ways, and, and as we talked about last episode, obviously the early church was guilty of this too, around circumcision and Torah keeping and yeah. boundary markers and whatever. So for, for many of us, the temptation is to just go to a fuzzy church. And fuzzy churches um, are... are you know, initially way more appealing because they really focus on um, the fact that you as an individual get to determine your own personal spirituality. They're not going to push things. They're not going to define things too clearly. There's there's kind of a sort of warm self-help kind yeah. of attitude. And, and It sounds nice with the fuzzy name. Sounds yeah. fuzzy. Fuzz, fuzzy is a good thing. For yeah. me, except when it comes up to my my fledgling beard, in which case it gets itchy. But um, yes, so there there aren't there isn't a super clear focus on, and and sometimes there's a watering down of some of the some of the parts of the Bible that are super difficult or misunderstood. And the idea is, um, what, the line that we're committed to keeping is the fact that there are no lines, right? And um, and the hard thing for some of us is to be convinced that that's actually harmful too. Because right. we've been so harmed by the bounded churches that a fuzzy church feels awesome. Right. And, um, and so, well, why wouldn't you just do a live and let live yeah. sort of approach, right? Why would you have any sort of, why would you even focus on a center, particularly if people are going to experience it in a bounded way? Why, not, why don't we right. just, you know... We show up to the thing. We listen to uh, to this sort of therapeutic moralism, and we go. What's the problem? Yeah. So we'll spend some more time on on fuzzy church, but that one's a little in contrast to bounded churches. Uh, this one doesn't need as much explanation. Right. Then you have center churches, and again, this is um, and, and these aren't without problems, of course, but. 
I'm, I'm agreeing that this is the far better way. And in answer to the question we received last episode about how we would do a church, this is where I would head. Um, so, so if boundary churches focus on the boundary, uh, center churches focus on the center. And for Jesus followers, of course, the center is Jesus. Now, even boundary churches are going to say, well, of course we focus on Jesus, right. and that's where we get the boundary lines, right? We yeah. get the boundary lines from Jesus and Paul. So, duh. The difference is how we evaluate people. In bounded churches, you evaluate them according to the line. In center churches, you evaluate them in, in regards to the orientation or posture towards the center. Yeah. So, as we've said before, you can be, quote, an insider and, and a religious person, but turned away from Jesus and heading away from him. And you can be far, far away as a tax collector or a prostitute and be turning towards Jesus and be considered part of the in-group. Yeah. It makes evaluation really hard and really unclear. And, and that's the point, is you don't always know. Yeah. Um, that and, and you see this all throughout the ministry of Jesus. Those who are insiders and should be insiders turn out to be outsiders and those that are outsiders turn out to be insiders right there's right. this great reversal and so what center focus attempts to do is to say listen because the the question naturally from bounded church people is okay well what jesus is it just any jesus or is it the jesus that teaches tithing and the jesus that teaches sexual restraint and the jesus that teaches he's the only way to heaven right yeah. and so you can you could just saying jesus is the center doesn't do anything. Well, it's kind of like the Talladega Nights <laughs> conversation at the table, right? When they're trying to decide which Jesus they want to pray to. And yes. Like, ah, I, I want to pray to baby Jesus. Like, yeah. baby Jesus is the one that I want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. And, and so, so one whole episode will be devoted to like, okay, what Jesus are we talking about? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, because the objections are, oh, great, you can say, you're Jesus focused, but boundary churches would say they are too, right? And that the boundaries they are have you know derived are from Jesus and about Jesus, and um, and you know so so I want to spend some time clarifying the difference between the center focus and the boundary focus because they'll they'll say the same things, right? right. So it's easy to say. Um, yeah, our focus is on Jesus, but you know Mark Driscoll did too, and and we exactly. recognize it was not. And if you have to shout that it's all about Jesus, then most often it isn't. <laughs> uh, that's one thing. That's one thing I took away. Now, um, uh, and, and and part of how you do this is you're asking when Paul is engaging in this conversation, Galatians two, he's bringing up centered issues. He's not talking about the boundary line. He's talking about you know embodying new creation. He's talking about. Um, um, the recognition that what is distinguishing them as part of the church isn't the boundary, but rather the center that they have in common, namely that they've been saved by grace um, through faith in Jesus. What's wrong with your face, Timothy? You're looking around all of a sudden. Something that just dinged, and I don't know. I, my computer doesn't normally do that, so I don't know what it was. <laughs> ah! It was probably just a reminder that um, you killed it already today, and it... At, you know, when it's, <laughs> it's noon. Like bed. <laughs> yeah, 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 nap time. Um, but religious communities will look and feel very different depending on whether they're centered or boundary. Yeah. Um, and that's what we've got to explore. 
Uh, the centered isn't fuzzy in the sense that, no, there's a really defined center and a lot of energy goes into defining the center. Yeah. Right? Um, it, as opposed to just defining the boundary. Um, and and it, Tim, would you include those diagrams again? Um, of Tim made some great diagrams, you know, distinguishing the difference when when people are evaluated according to a boundary line or their orientation towards the center of something. Um, it just feels much different and allows for all sorts of complexity that bounded groups don't allow for. Yeah, and you can see a lot of that with the fruit too. Like just thinking of the the two emails earlier. Yeah, the justice conversation. Obviously, the way that justice is seen, talked about, and whatever within a church body can really distinguish how the understanding of that church is foundationally. Yes. So in um, centered churches, uh, there's a lot more nuance and room for complexity. So, so for instance, there are, uh, there are two different aspects, two different directional changes. If you're looking at the diagram of, uh, that Tim does of the well, the centered set, there's the initial change of posturing or opening oneself away from Jesus to now posturing and opening oneself to Jesus, right? We don't call that, I don't call that conversion as much because I don't see that as a word right. uh, that the Bible uses. Um, uh, but that's one turn and that turn can be from very far away or can be from very close by. But then there's a second turn or a second, uh, it's not a turn, but it's a, a second movement. And that is growing closer to the center or, or being far away. And uh, what I love about the centered approach is it recognizes that people can turn to Jesus in all sorts of different ways and different contexts. And they don't all move towards the center at the same pace in the same way. Yeah. And so, so, um, and, and, and the idea that we have to order someone else's discipleship according to a preconceived list of what we think are the most important issues. Right. I, I, I obviously there are parts of that that could be true. You know, I, you would want somebody who's new to Jesus to understand what it is to pray or what it, what it, how it is to read the Bible or whatever. Um, uh, but there isn't the same in, 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 um, bounded churches, unity comes at the cost of uniformity we all agree to this boundary line and we all fit in it yeah here unity is a um a relational orientation and then it's it's different for everybody right you know what i mean for yeah. so, for some we come to jesus uh, and fits and starts and we turn away and have to turn back for others of us, we there's a there's a direct line that, that we walked, we oriented ourselves away for years, and now we orient ourselves to, and we're all in, and we're just moving quick or whatever. But but none of that serves an evaluative purpose. None of that right. is well, you're backslidden or you're mediocre or totally. not, right? So that that is a major major difference that it, that that bounded churches allow for people to move at different paces towards the center. Yeah, it's not a uh, race. No, it's not a race. And, um, and very often what we want to judge as spiritual maturity turns out to just be performative action totally. yeah. that doesn't reflect at all the heart of somebody. 
Yeah. Um, so yes, I can I can go and I can uh, read my Bible and pray and still be a really horrible person. Yeah, and, and that's where that community stuff or the communal element makes sense, right? Because it's yes, because harder to hide in that way or to perform when you're intimately attached to other people that are moving towards the well. Yes, so to speak. That is the great deficiency of the diagram. Um, the center diagram is that it doesn't show that the arrows affect each other. So mm -hmm. it just looks like a bunch of individuals in arrows when in actuality, that whole thing is an arrow moving too. Right. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and it's in the same way that, that focus on the boundaries, like hearing people react to boundaries will affect how you react to the boundaries. Right. Hearing people orient and give, be given permission to the center will affect how you approach the center too. Yeah. So there's an impact on each other of all of these that isn't really picked up by any That's interesting. Of, yeah, any of the diagrams. The the another big point between centered and bounded is bounded churches most often um, have group identity that is defined around ex excluding others, mm. um, having enemies. So you'll you'll get into and and not every church is this blatant about it, but you'll get right. into some churches and they'll literally be preaching against other churches. Um, right. Totally. Or, Right, and and yeah. you're like, okay, well, there's there's a sure sign of a boundary approach. Uh, what unifies us is that we're not them. Yeah. And um, in center churches, you don't have to preach against anything else to show right. the beauty of the center. Right. Right. You don't have to preach against that big bad world. You don't have to preach against other Christians. You don't have to preach against whatever. You it's like that just being for something rather than being against. Everything. Exactly. 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 And that's the real drawback with fuzzy churches, is there's this subtle and implicit agreement that we're against line drawing. Right. But that doesn't define what we're for exactly, other than kind of my own spiritual journey, which is yeah. not how the New Testament envisions a healthy church functioning and growing. So, so Tim, you're you're picking up like really, really good stuff. Another you can say that I smell what you're stepping in. Yes, it's a puppy reference too. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, another thing that separates bounded churches and centered churches is that bounded churches have a way of communicating that you've arrived. Yeah. Once whatever boundary you've met, you've met it, and now the focus is staying in. Whereas centered churches communicate that we're all in process forever. Yep. And that's like, that piece was huge for me before I understood that I was deconstructing. How so? But that, well, I just, I, I just, I, at some point had, I just realized that that idea of arrival was, was false and was not a real thing. And this, this plateau of like success or something, you know, where you've, I understand everything. I've 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 completely understood Jesus. I've you know understand my place in this world. Yada yada yada. I've arrived. I right. realized that that was not a real. That was not a reality. Yes. And so that kind of that has a lot of ornaments that hang on the tree, and I had to take all of that off and be like, okay, what are we? What does this actually look like? And I realized that this was if I felt like I had plateaued or arrived, then I took a left turn somewhere. Right. Right. And I'd have to kind of reorient and be like, okay, well, hold on a second. What is, because I will be pursuing this forever. Yes. And then we always joke around that we'll get to heaven and be like, 
there'll be this big moment of epiphany where you're like, oh, oh yeah, I had it all wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> yep, yep. And I think marriage is a great example of this. So mm-hmm. it, it, take a boundaried view of marriage. What yeah. does it mean to be married? Well, I went to the 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 justice or the pastor. I said the words. I wear a ring. Yep. We have a marriage license and a certificate. Bam. That's yes. what it is to be married. And I've arrived. I'm now married. Yep. yep. Um, a fuzzy view of marriage is well, yeah, we just live together and and you know, yeah, we're just committed to each other in our hearts. Um, a center view of marriage is, yeah, we did the thing, you know, we did the the thing, we made the covenant, but the 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 fact that I wear a ring and have a certificate doesn't mean I'm married. Yeah. What means what it means to be married is that I'm orient progressively orienting my life <laughs> around the commitment I have to this person. Yeah. Right? I agree not, to climb this mountain with this person yes, for the rest of my life. Yes, yes. And I'm not, um, you know, I'm not in an open marriage. That, you know, I'm, this is like, this is the person. Here we yeah. go. Giddy up. And, I, and I'm not, you know, let's not get into divorce or polyamory yeah. or any of those things. I'm just trying to make the, there, there is a relational orientation that is captured in the way I've come to understand marriage that is far bigger than just, well, do you have a date night? Do you pray together? Do you, Yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. That isn't the test. I can do all those things and, and not love and cherish my wife. Yeah, those things reverberate out too. Like the, you used the, that example before about marriage for like, after you say I do in the kiss the bride, you don't turn around and know everything of what it means to be a husband. You just got that label. Now, you, now <laughs> just, it's time to learn what that means. And, right. Right. There's a lot to that. That's, that's a that's a long journey and a relational journey. Anyone who's been married for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, there's certain markers where things get difficult again and you have to reassess and keep working at that and it's just shows that it's part of that journey of yes, you know, peaks and valleys. Yep. Absolutely. Um so so one of the things that is true of a centered church that won't always be true of a bounded church is that a centered church will allow uh, for all sorts of differentiation of belief. Mm. Um, and this is really, really important. Obviously, doctrine matters, right? Yeah. We just heard uh, and we hear all the time from people who've been hurt by yes. bad teaching. No question, that is a thing. Um, and and we recognize that good teaching plays a part um, in clarifying the center but the difference between how a centered church and bounded church uses doctrine is that obviously bounded churches will say you have to believe in xyz in order to be a part of the group centered churches will say um like my wife you can say yes to jesus and have a whole heck of a lot wrong right right i had no idea what it meant to be married like you were just saying the moment i said yes but I or I changed the orientation of my life that day. I oriented yeah. myself away from all the other opportunities relationally, and I committed to her. Yeah. And I said, okay, this is the center here. Yeah. And 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 then all of this other stuff took years to fall away. Whether it was um, false ideas I had about myself or her or marriage itself, patterns and habits that had been ingrained in me that I had to unlearn and then relearn yeah. new ones. It's core selfishness that had to be exposed and apologized for and worked out, 
right? I mean, there was just all of these, all of this stuff was happening, yeah. and it happens in different uh, different ways and in different um, rates uh, between my marriage or your marriage or whatever. And yeah. um, and so the last thing you can do is decide if somebody has a good marriage or not just on the basis of looking at beliefs right. and behaviors. Yeah. Because how do we know? You know, psychopaths are great pretenders. Um, you know, I, I mean, so it's one of those things where in there, the, the, that one of the great downsides of a bounded church is it limits your authenticity because you cannot question the boundary publicly or you will be excluded uh, from it. Yeah. In, in centered churches, if they're done well and right, um, you're given great permission to wonder, explore, doubt, because none of that defines whether or not you're in or out. Right. Um, and your inness and outness isn't defined on your behavioral performance that day, right? right. In the Thank same way thankfully. that there are days I am just an absolutely crappy husband. Yeah. Uh, and then there are days where I'm on the right track. And I hope that those days are more than the other days. Um, but after almost 21 years, there's a, there's a sense that there have been big peaks and valleys yeah. where we have turned away from each other and have had to turn back. Right. I mean, see, and that's that plateau thing again. Like it's the same thing in the marriage analogy. If you just kind of say, all right, we've arrived, you know, we're perfect. We're never right. going to face another issue done. Right. You're this is just setting yourself up for absolute disaster. Yeah. So you can see how that plays out in both, in both places. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's why, you know, older married folks will look at newly married folks and and be thrilled for them and delighted, but also go, okay, they, <laughs> they don't, they don't, it, it's super easy now. There'll be some point when it's not. Yeah. And it, that's okay. Absolutely. That's wonderful. You, yes. you just gave a, a great message on that, on the, um, what oh. you call it, the theology of age or aging. Theology, aging. Yes. And just the importance of, you know, not excluding those older generations that can speak so much truth and wisdom out of even just experience. Yeah. Into our younger lives. I'm a young person. So why would you exclude from the group? Now, this is where it gets, this is going to raise a whole bunch of questions. Ooh. But I know you love, uh, you love this. <laughs> um. But why would you exclude from the group someone who is turning towards Jesus, but who doesn't see the Bible as all the word of God, but it's like, no, there's wisdom here. There's reality here. There's something here. Yeah. Why would you, why would you force them into a view of the Bible that would then rule them out? Yeah. Um, why, why would you exclude people who, uh, who are not um, in the sexual majority population? Yeah. But who, you know, um, far before, or, or maybe they've they've had experiences with the church that have all been universally negative. Yeah. Why would you exclude people who are beginning to open themselves up to Jesus um, by having a statement or a boundary line that simply says, "Hey, just so you know, even before yeah. you show up, um, what you're doing is wrong, and um, you know you can come." But you can't really do much more than that. We'll be glad to take your money, but um, yeah. you know anything else, <laughs> yeah, you right? Can still tithe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're still welcome. Still welcome to tithe. I mean, you're just like ah, and, and I, I understand the concern from bounded people saying, yeah, but 
and my yeah. point is, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna draw those lines, then you got to draw all the lines. Yeah. If you want to draw sexual lines, great. Then draw them around divorce, premarital sex, pornography, right? I mean, draw them all. Um, and if you're if you're gonna have a statement up on your website about um, LGBTQ people, then put a statement up there about divorced people, and yeah. put a statement up there about people who've engaged in sexual activity or who are lusting in their hearts and committing adultery, right? I mean, let's let's be consistent. Yeah. But but the lines, and that's the the great trap, is the lines never are consistently um, applied even in the most fundamental of churches, right? Because yeah. the, 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 another of the great damaging things that bounded churches do is they focus, they can focus by their very nature only on the externals. Right. And Jesus was so clear in his woes to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. You know, you wash the outside of the cup, but inside is filthy, <laughs> right? You, 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 you tithe on your spices, but you neglect justice and the greater and weightier matters of the law. I mean, that is that is the religious impulse in all of us, yeah. right? To and and that's why virtue signaling is such a big deal in um, conservative, like bounded churches. And bounded churches can not just be conservative; they can be progressive too. But it's it's like everything that happens in the world. I feel this subtle pressure, either from the left or the right to have to say something and say something publicly. And right. it doesn't matter if I really am anti-racist, but I have to appear anti-racist. And it really doesn't matter if I'm actually doing anything about the poor. Exactly, I have to yeah. appear like I care about the poor. That's what's interesting is like going back to the Sermon on the Mount series and talking about being neither right nor left nor religious. Because I think often we think of neither right nor left, I'm a moderate. And we'll say the same, and it's, that's just part of the same. Yep, part puzzle. of the same continuum. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, you know, what, what we're trying to do is to say anything in the Christian life can be um, received in a bounded way and um, or can be experienced in a centered way. These are two mindsets, these are two orientations. And when I say bounded ways, that can also be fuzzy too, right? right. It just, because it's still focused on lines. On lines. Um, and so when we get to like doctrine, yes, of course doctrine matters, but are doctrinal statements boundaries or are they clarifications of the center? Yeah. That is a massively important issue for, in how they're framed, right? I mean, I was, I have assigned boundary or boundary statements to work in Christian institutions. Right. And it, and it was well known. You didn't have to believe it. You just had to publicly sign the thing. Yeah. Um, and, and you're like, well, I mean, okay. Um, and, and that's why bounded churches, there's not a lot of vulnerability. There can't be, there can't be a lot of struggle and doubt. Yeah. Um, because the emphasis is is maintaining the boundary for the sake of the group, yeah. um, and in center churches, the focus is maintaining the clarity of the center, and allowing people and inviting people towards the center, but recognizing, man, this is the long view, right? Conversion isn't just a one time thing. I have to be reconverted often <laughs> as I go through life, in the same way I have to be recommitted to my marriage as I go through. You gotta wonder if it's like the, so you just said clearing the view, is that how you said it? 
clarifying the center. Clarifying. I wonder if it's like when we have conversations about how you know we have them off mic about how to how to um, combat Christian nationalism or these different things like that that become um, barriers that block the view of the center. Yeah. And as people who are center focused, is there like, you know, like if you sign up to, you know, this stretch of highway is this stretch of highway that you signed up to clean litter on. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, is there, totally? are we also committing to cleaning up what, what blocks the clarity of the center? Yes. And line drawing blocks the clarity of the center. Yeah. But so does fuzziness. Right. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Now, we haven't defined what the center is, and, and all of right. that critique is still out there of, you know, hey, man, we get our view of the center from, or we get our view of the boundaries from Jesus, so bam, don't argue with him. Or from Jesus via Paul Calvin or, or Luther. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Um, so Baker has a... And I'm just going to go through these real quick as we close. Um, he has a chapter that's sort of like, what's the fruit of a bounded church? What's the fruit of a fuzzy church? What's the fruit of a centered church? And I'm just going to, we've already covered this, but to kind of tidy this up. Yeah. Um, the, the fruit of a bounded church, uh, number one, is uh, lines that shame. When you look at that Galatians 2 passage, shame is all over it. It's not just you're not a part of the group, but there's something wrong that you're not a part of the group. Oh, it's massive. That's such a key feature of so many deconstruction stories. Yes. Pure culture, like spiritual abuse, so much of it is shame driven. And that's different from guilt. And so often what, what, you know, guilt is dealt with through restitution um, or, um, um, the idea of um, some sort of right, uh, right relationship to whatever the just standard is, right? You're either you either restored to that, or you're punished because of that, or whatever. Yeah, that's how guilt's dealt with. But shame is dealt with relationally. Shame is a relational concept. That's why the hardest thing you the the worst thing you can do in collectivist cultures is shame somebody. Yeah, um, and. Um, you know the that that the way boundaries are used. Excuse me. The way bounded lines are used um, in churches is all about shaming. So it's it's you know it's it's the person that has mental illness and is told um, it's you know that they're in sin or they're. And that's demon- where that race comes in. Like you're racing to the goal and you want to beat the other people, so it's easier to point out. Yep. Whatever to trip them up. Yep. excuse me so gross um yes so the shaming aspect of the lines is super super important um and and along with that is the exclusion part of the lines that it's not just that you're making an internal judgment it's that you're not welcome yeah and that's communicated like not blatantly churches won't ever say to people hey you're not welcome but they'll say that to people in a load of you know other ways um and and you know and and very often he may has this great line he's like it's not just enough to keep the boundary you have to be seen to be keeping the boundary totally so you know i remember like 
there were parts when I first became a pastor of like, well, you can't drink publicly because what will people think? Right. I was fine drinking privately, (laughs) right? But publicly, and so there's all this pressure to virtue virtue signal, right? My acceptance of the boundaries. Um, Thirdly, um, you cannot truly love each other in a bounded church community um, because of the injuries done to those who are excluded and the harm done to those who do the excluding. Yeah, absolutely. Holding a, holding a poisonous line doesn't just hurt the people that you're aiming it at. Like it poisons it kills. the person holding Correct. the line as well. It's, yep. It robs you of your authenticity. It yep. robs you of wholeheartedness. Totally. It forces you into solely the superficial judgmental critiques. Absolutely. Fourth, he says, um, bounded churches will preach grace, but live by an entirely different standard. <laughs> totally. Entirely. And damn it, you better too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the last thing is that uh, they can't help but focus on um, the externals. Right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not about how well you love your wife. It's whether or not you have a date night. Right. Um, the 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 fruit of a fuzzy church and some of these i i'm yeah i i'm probably i would take a little different view but um he says the fruit of a fuzzy church is tolerance um and what he means here is that tolerance is such a weaker form of the christian virtue of love Mm. so in a fuzzy church we're just tolerating each other no one loves each other to actually speak truth um, and th- that a fuzzy church will fall prey to something that Will Willeman calls a gentle conspiracy of niceness <laughs> as a civil compatibility club rather than a community of faith and truth. And so, yeah, I see your, I see your face going, huh? I- I'm kind of like that too. I'm like, yeah, to me, certainly tolerance is one of the fruit, but it's it's almost deeper than that. It's yeah. it's the focus on me individually and my self help therapeutic. Like I mean, I, I mean, I just watch sermon clips, and they're all about me overcoming my oh, obstacles. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. all about my dreams and yeah. God helping me, you know, and believing in me, right? And you're like, that's that's fuzzy. Yeah. That's not. So I don't I don't know that I see this as much. Like one of his other ones is relativism um that that you know it's all relative and i'm like i don't wouldn't put it that way yeah i would put it i would put it as this sort of fuzzy self-helpism that that does give great um permission for everyone to follow their own individual journeys but that but there are moral absolutes in a fuzzy church namely Don't freaking draw lines. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of, I you know, I'm very visual, so I just kind of picture people wandering around and like, yes, the wanderer having conversations and kind of like, eh, like, yeah, what's going on with you? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're constantly exploring. You're never finding. You're constantly deconstructing. Right. You're never reconstructing. No I mean, focus or yeah. I mean, just and that and that is the focus is that there's no focus. Yes, and and, and that the great harm of the fuzzy church is it says that you can be a part of the church community by allowing yourself to stay in full authority and autonomy. Right. That's the great, that's the great lie. Because yeah. community, real community demands 
That's right. And we talked about that, the libertarian mindset or whatever last time. That's right. It's like, hey, this is my spot. That's your spot. I won't mess with your spot, but don't mess with my spot. And then, that's right. you know, that's we're right. all kind of just, if we all are cool, like stay yeah. cool, yeah. we can we can coexist here. Yeah. So the gospel just becomes this invitation to be a better you. Yeah. Or as one famous teacher puts it, to live your best life now. Mm. And um, God bless all of that, but that that's far different from a, um, a center-focused emphasis on, you know, or a marital emphasis on this person, my yeah. relationship to this person. Yeah. And so he says, um, you know, the fruit of a centered church is it allows for uneven discipleship and conversion. Uh, it gives permission for people to question and doubt. Um, it does. I mean, it does have abilities to establish what's consistent with the center and what's not. It's not like yeah. it's just a free-for-all. It's like the soccer example, right? If somebody, we agree that we're going to play soccer and somebody tries to play rugby, I mean, the rest of us go, no, we committed to playing soccer. <laughs> so, so to say we are a Jesus community yeah. says this is what we are about, right? In the yeah. same way Alcoholic Anonymous would say that's what they're about. So healthy forms of group life have to have this, but yeah. in a way that doesn't shame and exclude others. So um, the, the, the part of, the, the thing to me that got me out of or aware of Bounded Church was a guy, and I've I think I talked about him last time, he was, um, or I don't remember, I know I've talked about him before, but he was a chaplain at Westmont uh, College, and yeah. I was a pastor, a college pastor, and he was just talking about how Jesus, I mean, he was the most centered thing I'd ever been a part of. He was just talking about how Jesus, he said, love never manipulates, love never coerces, love never guilts or shames, love just invites. Hmm. And it was the invitational character of the centered church that made it such a compelling thing for me. It's not a do this or. Jesus never threatened anyone with hell unless it was the religious leaders who were living unjustly. He yeah. never used hell as a motivation to turn to him, right. uh, except in that context. right? Um, Paul, when he preaches the gospel, he does talk about judgment, but he's not talking about hell as we understand it. Judgment, uh, judgment was a good thing. Um, in Paul's day, that God was going to put the world back to the way God intended. So there, there was never in Jesus with people who were outside uh, of the religious leaders of the day that where Jesus would would manipulate or coerce or bribe. He never bribed anybody. He never made crazy promises. He just invited. Yeah. And so for me, that's what focusing on the center does. Is you know, and and people will ask all the time, "Hey, do you allow X in this church?" Um, do you allow people to do this? Will you allow these kinds of people into this church? And the answer is always the same. Look, anyone who is interested and curious about Jesus of Nazareth um, is utterly and absolutely welcome. You know, yeah. no matter no matter what they're called or what they're doing. Obviously, there are some things when it comes to children's ministry or support groups. There are some there are some things you have to put in place for people to be safe. Um, and so, yes, we, we want to create safe space and there are things sometimes you have to do to do that. Um, but the answer is never, um, 
uh, no, no, we don't allow those people to be here. Now, right. obviously, other churches are never going to say that, but they're going to say that. In a centered church, we're genuinely saying, look, we're just going to talk about Jesus and how beautiful he is. Yeah. And there are ways of living consistent with his beauty and ways that aren't. Yeah. And, and what we're going to talk about next episode is the trick of how do we talk about the center and invite people to the center in ways that clarify the center, but don't shame people if they choose not to participate. That's great, because I feel like that kind of speaks into, like when we were doing the New Creation series and we were talking about the focus on heaven and earth, not heaven and hell, and on making all things new and all that kind of stuff. One of the questions started to be in about whether hell is what we see it as, um, et cetera, et cetera. One of the big questions that comes out of that was about evangelism. What is evangelism? Yes. What is that, the good news? Yes. And you see how this redefines it. Yes. In a bounded church, evangelism is you pray a prayer, you stand up in a song, or you go forward and be baptized. And yeah. then it's done. Yeah. Here. This is so opposite. <laughs> yes. It's what Gombas has said, and it's what the mar- marriage metaphor implies. Yes. Saying yes is just the start of the thing. Yeah. And, um, and it's the continual reorientation in life. As yeah. we learn and grow, and we do it imperfectly and unevenly, sometimes fast, sometimes slow. But, it, but it's that constant reorientation. That is repentance, and it's never a one-time thing. Right. Right? It's always like, oh, crap. And even, even as the trajectory of my life is aimed at Christ, there are subsections of life that are not yeah. And Jesus has been so gracious in not trying to fix everything at once, right? There are parts that of things that are super obvious, but the more I'm in therapy and the more I'm in real community with deep friendship, the more I open myself up to my wife and family, the more I'm seeing that, that in a bounded church, when it comes to restoration and discipline, um, it, you always are focusing on the symptoms. Yes. And that is the worst thing to do. It is only in a centered posture where you can begin to give people permission to deal with the roots yeah. of things. Begin to, and then everything you just listed, that's over a 20 or 30 year period oh, for you. Lord, like that yes. list of things. So it's like, that is the journey yes. with no arrival because- That's right. That's the Because of the fact, yeah. Because all that doesn't happen all at once and all of that has- its own schedule, so to speak, where that, you know, and even with the marriage thing too, like there's things that you have to weed out of yourself to be a good cohabitator with somebody. And then over 20 years, you develop, you can develop new terrible habits that you're unaware of that you <laughs> then again have to work. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like Absolutely. you have to be focused and moving forward and be willing to say, I did this incorrectly. Now I have to work on that, like or, yeah. or whatever. But it's just. But there's no shame. Your marriage isn't threatened because we're no, idiots. The whole time, the whole time you've been talking about this, I've been thinking about this Bruce Springsteen song. Yes. About if I should, if I should fall behind, and every verse talks about different situations between two lovers that and the commitment that they made to each other, and every verse ends with something that, some, that says something to the effect of like, if my hand should, or if your hand should slip free, or if our steps should fall differently. Or whatever, I'll wait for you, and should I fall behind, wait for me, and that's the whole premise of the oh, song. I love it's it. just like this I love long it. journey where things become uneven, and we've made this like, please, I'm gonna wait for you when it's necessary, and I'm asking yep. you if you if I fall behind, that you wait for me. Amen. So the whole time I'm looking at like being center focused and having that like 
Yep. I'm having Bruce next to me with the guitar, and he's just like, hey, man. Well, let's call I'll the episode that, If I Fall Behind. All right. That is a great, great picture. That is exactly the, the healthy arrows. Yeah. That's what we do. We're always inviting each other to reorient around Jesus. And it's all communal. And it's, it's all not the communal. individual. That's one, right. That's yeah, right. Which is so That's, antithetical to the gospel that I grew up with. Uh, yeah, me personal too. savior, the personal devotions, my personal yeah. quiet time. Yep. And there's room for all of that. We're not there are individual parts. No that was question. The focus. That was the focus. Yes. Getting my individual uh body to behave in accordance with my individual soul's salvation. Yeah. And then you just see the shame, you see the spiritual abuse, you see how all of that plays into that moment. Oh my goodness. It's, well, it's completely Gnostic for those of you. Right. Who are familiar? It's the, it's the it's the idea that we're disembodied souls that inhabit bodies that cause us to stumble. So technically, we're aliens. <laughs> if you're watching Peacekeeper, yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's a that's a show. Peacemaker. Um, peacemaker. Sorry, we don't want to be peacekeepers, Mike. We want to be peacemakers, like John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> I do not recommend that show. By the way, <laughs> no. Um, all that is to say, ladies and gentlemen, I hope this is helpful. Um, we, again, lots of questions. We're spending so much time on it because at least for Tim and I, it has revolutionized the way that we consider what it means to be, um, a church and to do church and to be pastors. Tim, of course, does not call himself and would never call himself that, although his he has pastoral gifts like like far more than I do. But that's a <laughs> different conversation we'll have someday. But um, it, it is it is this combined with some other things that we talk a lot about on the podcast um, has really helped me understand what new creation dynamics should be at play in the church community. Yeah. And the downside, the downside of the centered church approach is that it's messy. Because yeah. there is no rule for everybody. I love that. You know? Yeah, I know. I know. So it's <laughs> like so it's like if somebody blows apart their marriage, you just don't have a rule that says, well, everyone who blows their apart their marriage goes through this process. Turn to page six in your manual and you'll see. Yes, yes, exactly. It's all it's Basic all different. instructions before leaving Earth. <laughs> <laughs> all right. On that note, <laughs> good lord. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope this helps. Give us your feedback. Take care. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us